I'm Nitan. And I'm Adam. And this is The Final Curtain, a mini-series from Stories from the East and West featuring personal tales from the Eastern Bloc's collapse. For today's episode, our producers Wojtek and Zhenya traveled to Kiev to get a sense of how it felt to experience the great transformation from within the USSR itself. There they met Irina, a radio journalist whose seemingly mundane tale goes a long way to show the everyday struggles of the transition period. Coming up on The Final Curtain. Dramatic eyewitness accounts of fighting in Bucharest. Police had forcefully beaten demonstrators in East Berlin. Thousands of Czechoslovaks shaking their house keys. The protest movement is now too big to be controlled. Good evening. It is over in Poland. Iron curtain across Europe, torn down. Коротко, звати мене Ірина Ткаченко, я працюю на українському радіо, працюю від 1985 року, So my life, maybe others divide their lives into before 1991 and after, but my life is divided into before 1988 and after. Because in 1988 my son was born and I was a single parent. That's what happened in my life and I guess I wasn't a typical single parent because I was always in good spirits. It was happiness, joy, and maybe this is the reason why I remember the life of the country through the lens of everyday living, household issues. And uh, mind that my mother died long before my child's birth, and my father died when my child was three. Since there were only two of us, my child and me, my child was a major priority to me. So, step by step, day by day, we were getting by. We didn't think too much about the big things. We had no time for it. You know, once somebody said, and I fully agree with it, that light, all the light, comes from inside of people's souls, and that the color of your light, if you have it in your soul, will paint the world around you. Of course, life was not easy. You had to spend money sparingly to survive. When my dad was alive, he provided some support by sending a little bit of money. When he died in winter 1991, well, our life became pretty tough. If it wasn't for my friends, their support, some brought their children's used clothes, some brought something else, some brought piece of furniture. Well, we received an apartment, thank God. 
as a radio employee, I got an apartment in the former radio hostel. We bought some old furniture from people who were living for Israel, refrigerator and some other things. Uh, at that time in Kiev, uh, second-hand clothing stores started appearing just around the corner at Bolshevik metro station under the bridge where there's this big roadworks now. And these second-hand stores were a massive help to us. Otherwise, if we had to buy everything in regular shops, it would have been extremely hard. People had no jobs, especially in the days after Ukraine regained independence. It wasn't easy to eke out a living, huge queues to buy food, to get a blue chicken, by which I mean those ugly-looking skinny chickens of an unusual bluish color. You had to know secret places, little basement shops, and know when they were throwing something up for sale, as we used to say. You had to take a day off from work, stand in a queue and use the opportunity to buy stuff, not only for yourself, but often for your friends too. I traveled to Moscow every once in a while. It was cheap at that time. I had friends there to stay with. No doubt, compared to Kiev, Moscow was well supplied, although there were unbelievable queues there, but it was still much easier. You could get pretty much everything in the big shops downtown. And when you were leaving for Moscow, your colleagues would hand you a long list, a huge one, with things to buy for them. These lists were so long that it was almost impossible to bring it all back home. Oranges, coffee, sweets. I remember that day when I decided to become a grand businesswoman. For one day only, here in Kiev, I bought some little toys, you know, packed in that funny popping polyethylene film with tiny toy cars hot sealed inside it. Then I thought, oh God, where should I start selling them? Downtown, the Children's World Shopping Center, or maybe that old square with the Jerzynski monument. I was such a scaredy cat, I had never done anything like that. Just imagine, conservatory music school and street trading, how could it be possible? But I took a deep breath, put those toy cars out and was standing there looking scared as hell, with an expression on my face like, <laughs> and you know how that old joke goes? You wouldn't sell an elephant this way? <laughs> then I realized that I have to put a smile on. How could I sell anything without a smile? And somehow it started working. Then there was some trouble with the police, I was so scared of getting detained and thrown into a cell that I can't remember any details. It was like any other trade though, people approached me, examined the things for sale, bought something, a little bit or a bit more. You know, a seasoned radio person is well capable of communicating with others, so the toy cars sold like hotcakes.
Mingling with the rush hour traffic, Red Army armoured personnel carriers on the streets of Moscow this morning, heading to the Kremlin. They first moved in at 4am, the first sign of the coup d'etat that removed Mikhail Gorbachev from power. 91. What I remember perfectly is 1991, because of the putsch, the August coup. My friend and I, with my child, were on a trip to Yaremcha in the Carpathians. She was staying in a sanatorium while I rented a place at some auntie, as they say in the rural areas. It was so great, so nice to stay there. All of a sudden, in the evening, that auntie came in and said, Gorbachev is being overthrown. How could it be? Something was going on on TV. Oh Lord, I grabbed my child and rushed to that sanatorium. Everybody got together in the main hall in front of a TV set watching this terrible putsch. Since we were far from our hometown, Kiev, we felt really scared thinking about what was going to happen. Maybe it resembled the feelings of those who experienced the beginning of the war in Donbass recently. I think that women with children felt the same way, despair, uncertainty. What's going to happen? What if the putschists win? However, thank God, we stopped worrying after a few days, when it was all over. And when we saw what was going on there, in Poland, how people are standing up for their own freedom, life, human rights, different rights, for me it was a true shock that it could be so, that people can be unafraid, even the prospect of shooting, being jailed, Later, these big rallies start happening in Moscow with parliamentarians and all that began with perestroika, glasnost and so on. The whole country was watching it, because it was for us, none of us dissidents, not historians, but common average people living their life, wanting happiness for their children. It was incredible. Saharov's public statements, all those new programs popping up on Russian TV like Vzgliad, The View and others. We all were changing. But still, you had to bring up your child, feed them. It was hard. I say, there are people out there much more inclined to business than I am. Some people look at an empty spot on the floor and say, oh, I can make some money here. I am not like that. It was hard for me to see where I could earn something. And there was a moment when my son was about six. I had an acquaintance, Ukrainian-American, Victor, may he rest in peace, uh, and I had an opportunity to travel to the US, where I had acquaintances who worked as babysitters. Thanks to him, I didn't do it. It would have been real nonsense. Why? He said, let's calculate it. If you went there as a babysitter, you can't go back every week or even every month. 
Otherwise, you spend all the money you earn. So you go there for at least half a year. You get about $600 a month, maybe $700. Yes, you get room and board, no problem. But still, you won't be able to save all $600 because you have to buy some clothes, some shampoo and so on. How much will you set aside during these six months? Let's say $500 multiplied by six makes $3,000. And now, throughout this time, who is your child with? with a stranger, staying here in Ukraine with some full-time babysitter, one you have to pay with your own money. Do you really need this? Your child is still so little. And what happens when you come back? Your child most probably simply won't recognize you. Have you considered everything thoroughly enough? I think that many of our people who went abroad to make money for a living, to Europe, to Poland, to anywhere else, they haven't always considered it properly. Because now, we see, when talking to these people, to their relatives, children, many families are broken. It's a big problem. A huge one. I decided that it would be better for me to get over myself, but stay and try to earn money here. Because my child is here. And I realized that it was nobody's fault. You're asking how tough it was. <laughs> I quickly realized that if I want to get something, I have to reach for it. If I was lazy, did not try hard, if I came home from work, locked the door and forgot about everything, no side jobs, no extra work, then who was to blame that my pockets were empty? It was all on my own. You do something extra, good for you. You didn't do it, well, have some rest and then do it. I got my first serious side job much later, when my child was about 9, 10 or 11. It was in 1999. So it took me years to get it. So in 1999, I started working as a promoter at a venue for singers and writers. It was a rather interesting job. First of all, it was all quite familiar to me. These people were musicians and it was very interesting. My boss once came to me and said, the bad promoter works twice, the first time and the last time. You have to do your best to be invited to other projects. That's when I realized the difference between working for a public institution and a private company. I can hardly imagine what you would have to do, what a mess you would have to make to get fired from a public institution. And here, in this private company, I suddenly realized that just to keep my job, I had to do my absolute best.
Two years passed and Sioma, my boss, said to me, He said it was no longer profitable for him to work with me. You're doing a great job. You always have a full house. People are crowding to get to your concerts. You organize everything perfectly, but I can no longer afford to work with you. I pay $100 a night and you only do concerts. I want someone to do the office work too. And then he hired a person who he paid $50, the cruel smile of capitalism. And this person organized concerts, brought coffee, worked as a courier. Well, I was so happy arranging concerts, to be present there when the house was full, when everything was perfectly organized. I really enjoyed it very much. And he said, ciao. What could I do? Then I realized what private business meant. You might be fired not only because of poor performance. There might be many other reasons that you have no control over. It's no secret that our business law isn't the best one in the world. And in 1991, 2 and 3, there was no law at all. That capitalism was wild, very wild. And business owners did whatever they wanted. How capital was acquired in the 1990s, I think you know pretty well. So-called wild capitalism was more or less the same in all countries. You're asking me how tough it was for me back then, so that I stopped crying here. You know what I mean? Maybe I was lucky that I was surrounded by friends. It's my kind of luck. The fact that I have a child, I've always had the work, I loved and friends. It just simply outweighed all the hardships. All this lack of bananas and pineapples and other fancy things, somehow it didn't affect me, you know? I was born to a modest family of engineers who had never had a house in the countryside. Later on, I never had one too. But you realize that there are realities, there are different realities. You've got 60 rubles per month or 120, you divide it nicely by days and see what you have to pay for and then what's left. And you do not suffer because of the fact you have no oysters or bananas or something else. Had none of it, no problem. You are still alive, you have arms and legs, as compared to some, you've got a child, somebody has none. With all the cars they own, heaps of clothes and all the rest. Let them envy me that I have joy in my soul and they sometimes have none. Darn you! I feel embarrassed. You made a hero out of me. This episode of The Final Curtain was produced for Culture PL and hosted by Adam Schuavsky and me, Nitzan Reisner. If you want to learn more about the story you just heard, see the show notes in your podcast app or go to the Stories from the East and West website at sftew.com. Make sure to subscribe or check our feed next week. We'll drive you way down south to Romania and tell you how it felt to live through the transformation in a town built around a coal mine. 
where not everybody exactly was against the regime. Hear you next week. Bye.